Our scripture reading tonight will come from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. I'll be reading from the King James Version. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Well, I just heard Kyle introduced as the usual preacher, which makes me the unusual preacher. I've been called worse, so I'm okay with that. Thank you, Bradley, for the reading. The verses that were just read to you come from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, and tell us the, the facts of the gospel. If you'd like to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, we see Peter, by inspiration, elaborating on the facts of the gospel. In the first gospel message delivered on the day of Pentecost, following the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ back to his Father's right hand. So beginning in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in Hades, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption." Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt show me, or make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us until this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Again, these are the facts of the gospel. But we ask the question this evening, what do the facts mean? What do the facts mean? And to address this question, I'd like to borrow from a phrase that is popular in our society and show to you from the scriptures spiritual blessings for which Jesus is not only the reason but he is the only reason. Now we understand from Ephesians 1 and verse 3 where Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. 
We understand from that verse that all spiritual blessings are through Christ. Therefore, to have a lesson that exhausts all the blessings would take a long time. So we'll only highlight a few of them this evening, but hopefully this will prompt each of us to spend a little more time in the scriptures thinking about how blessed we are if we're faithfully walking with Christ. So first of all, Jesus is the reason for salvation. In Acts 4 and verse 12, Peter is recorded as saying, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven, speaking of Jesus. There is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. I invite your attention to Hebrews 10 in just a moment, verses 26 and 27. But before we go there, I want to show you some verses that really tie in well with that in Hebrews, beginning in Hebrews chapter 7 and in verse 27. We're going to get to Hebrews 10 in just a minute. These verses tie in and lead up to Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. So Hebrews 7, 27 says, again, speaking of Jesus, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Look in chapter 9 and verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by the, his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained redemption for us. Hebrews 9 and verse 26. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Verse 12 of chapter 10. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. Verse 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. If we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fire indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. Jesus is the reason for salvation. There is not another Savior to come along. All these verses in Hebrews that led up to what we just read from chapter 10 indicate that there was one sacrifice that was perfect, and that's the sacrifice of Jesus. Therefore, Hebrews 10, 26 and 27, if we reject Jesus, we've rejected all opportunity for salvation. Jesus is the reason for salvation. And folks, let me encourage you, if you don't already, every single day, thank God for Jesus. Let me encourage you to do that. We have this list of things we have to remember in prayer, and they're great to read those every morning and be reminded. And certainly among those should be of thanksgiving to God for Jesus. He is the reason for our salvation. Secondly, Jesus is the reason for the New Testament. In Matthew 26 and verse 28, when he was gathered with his disciples for the Passover feast, instituting what we refer to as the Lord's Supper, Matthew 26 and verse 28, Jesus said, speaking of the blood, speaking of the cup, he said, this is the blood of the New Testament. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. It represented the blood that established the covenant of Jesus Christ. Again, we're still in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15. For this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Chapter 7 and verse 22, we've already read, but go over to chapter 13 and verse 20. Excuse me, we did not read verse 22. Hebrews 7 and verse 22 
says, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament or covenant. And in Hebrews 13 and verse 20, as well as verse 21, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, that great through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. When we read the scriptures, we find that the old covenant was never meant to be permanent. The old covenant, according to what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, was called there a schoolmaster or a tutor that was leading us to the covenant of Jesus Christ. It was preparation. It was not meant to be permanent. And yet there were those in the first century, as there are still those today, who were going back to the old covenant, wanting to live under the old covenant. Some wanted to live under both. They wanted to live under the old. They wanted to live under the new. Throughout the epistles of Paul, Paul dealt with that issue over and over and over again. In Galatians chapter 5 and in chapter 6, especially in chapter 5, he talked about the old covenant being a yoke of bondage. Going back to a system, although inspired by God, a system which was inferior to the new covenant, because under the old covenant there was a sacrifice of bulls and goats. And as the writer said in Hebrews, the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. Only the blood of one could do that, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been freed from the bondage of the yoke. That doesn't mean we're free from law. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 21 says we're under law to Christ. We're still obligated to be obedient to God. Those who do the will of God are going to find heaven. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. But we're not under bondage to that old covenant any longer, that old system. Now, because of Jesus Christ, we have a new covenant, the covenant of Jesus Christ, the covenant of freedom which we enjoy the blessings of today. Thirdly, Jesus is the reason for joy. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. This series of verses, after I read these, I realized there was no reason for any commentary on my part. They're so self-explanatory. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Paul said, For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Jesus is the reason for our joy. But furthermore, Jesus is the reason for our peace. He is the reason for our peace. In John 16 and verse 33, as Jesus was encouraging his disciples prior to his crucifixion, he said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 16 and verse 33. In Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, we have the familiar passage I'm sure we've heard many times. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul said, be careful or be anxious for nothing. Be worried about nothing, but in everything, by everything, 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ or through Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which passes all understanding. There are several thoughts that are prompted just by that single phrase, the peace that passes all understanding. As I look at that, I realize that in Jesus Christ, I have a peace that the world doesn't understand. And the world never will understand. In fact, when I was in the world, I didn't even understand it. Because the world so often looks for peace in things of the world. The world looks to itself for solutions. And therefore, people look for peace in everything from a bottle of alcohol to a pill to self or self-preservation, doing things that are f focused solely on self and for nobody else. But the peace that passes understanding in Christ Jesus is that which elevates peace to a level which we should enjoy and appreciate every day. When you look in the eyes of a faithful Christian, as he or she has received the news of a terminal disease, or even as he or she is passing, you realize that's the peace that passes all understanding. And it's only through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the reason for our peace, but furthermore, Jesus is the reason for our hope. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Hebrews 6, 16 through 18 excuse me, 18 and 19, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Because read verse 20, Whether the forerunners for us entered even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hope being the anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. I'm not a boater. I could count probably on two hands, maybe one, the times I've been on a boat, but I know what an anchor does. An anchor steadies, an anchor moors, an anchor protects. And as we look around now, you don't have to look too far. You can turn on the television or go to a website or just pretty much look around in your neighborhood sometimes. And you see evidence of the turmoil that's in the world. Satan's having a heyday. But we have hope. It is an anchor in the midst of the stormy seas. We have a hope that is an anchor. An anchor that's not going to break loose. An anchor that's not going to come loose from its moorings. But an anchor that instead is sure and steadfast. And that anchor is Jesus Christ. Do we understand, do we grasp the concept, folks, about how blessed we really are as Christians? We have something the world doesn't have, which is why we need to look out to those who are about us who don't have. I saw something the other day. It's kind of on a side note. Maybe one of you posted it. I don't remember where I saw it, but I just remember it. But it said, we should only be looking into another person's bowl to see if they have enough. Never to see if we have more than they do. 
I thought that was well stated in regard to a lot of ways, but as I'm thinking about the spiritual blessings we're discussing tonight, that we should be looking around at our neighbors and our friends and our family members who are not Christians and seeing that, no, they don't have enough. They don't have hope, they don't have joy, they don't have peace. And we should do what we can to help them come to Christ. Furthermore, Jesus is the reason for the church in Matthew 16, verses 16 through 18. On the coast of Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus had asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they gave their various views that they had heard. Jesus then asked the question, who do you say that I am? Peter said, beginning in verse 16, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, where Paul gives some further elaboration regarding the church. Ephesians 1, 20 through 23. He said, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Colossians 1.18 also talks about Jesus being the head of the church. On a regular basis, from this very pulpit, either during announcements or during the sermon sometimes. You'll hear it said about how somebody is in need of prayer, somebody is hurt, somebody is sorrow in sorrow. Let's do what we can to help them. So we pray for them. We do what we can to help them financially. We do what we can to help them physically in any way, spiritually especially. That's the church that Jesus established. That's the church that Jesus died to purchase. I hate to even think about this, but I can't even imagine not being able to come to the church. I don't mean a building, I'm talking about you. I can't imagine not being able to come to the church and ask for prayers and ask for encouragement and to give encouragement and to study the Bible together. I can't imagine what life would be like without the Lord's church, can you? I don't want to think about it, so let's not. Let's just thank God that Jesus died to establish the church, Matthew 20 and verse 28. Two more points. For next one being this, that Jesus is the reason for God hearing us. I tried to put this as succinctly as possible because we know that prayers were heard of God before Jesus came in the flesh. But specifically now we're talking about the time since the ascension of Jesus back to his Father's right hand. In John chapter 16, in verses 23 and 24, again addressing his disciples. Jesus said, In that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever or whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Folks, the reason we can go to God through Jesus who, by the way, is also our mediator, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5, is because of what he did for us. Look in Hebrews chapter 4, in verses 15 and 16. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, 
understanding that under the old covenant, there was the, the priesthood system whereby you had a high priest who would go into the Holy of Holies and address the Father. Then you would have the priests. Well, according to First Peter 2 and verse 9, as Christians, we're all priests, but we have a high priest. That's Jesus Christ. A high priest who's never going to, to die or be put out of office in any way. He is forever our high priest. And as our high priest, we can go to the Father through him. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, based in other words, based on what he just said in verse 15, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is the reason why we can go boldly. The word boldly means openly. We can go boldly, we can go openly to our Father. But look at this back in Hebrews chapter 2, a couple of chapters earlier. This again goes into a little more detail about what Jesus did for us. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of his people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempered, tempted, he is able to succor or comfort those who are tempted. We, uh, as Christians, we get to talk to the Creator. And as we talk to the Creator, we get to talk to the Creator as our Father. We get to talk to our Father because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the reason for us being able to speak openly to God. And then one final point. Jesus is the reason for entrance into heaven. Back in John chapter 14, I've got verse 6 up there, but let's go back up to verse 1 to get the entire context. John 14, beginning in verse 1. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 11, 
after Peter has talked about what we often refer to as the, the Christian graces. Second Peter 1 and verse 11, verse 10 says, Give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things you shall never fall, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, we're not going to back into heaven. We're not going to sneak into heaven. We're not going to go up through a side window. Our entrance is an abundant entrance because of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9, 24 through 28. Let's go back to Hebrews 2 and verse 10, first of all. Hebrews 2 and verse 10. For it became him for whom all are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. The word captain, your, may, your version may something, say something different. But it's like a trailblazer the leader, the one who opened the door, who blazed the path that we could follow. And so now in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 through 28, after spending time talking about the old covenant and the shadows or the types that were in the old covenant, the blood of the bulls and the goats, the, the tabernacle and its various accoutrements, all those things which are shadows were types of the better thing, things that were to come. He says this, beginning in verse 24. He says, Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, again talking about the, the tabernacle or the temple, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he suffered, or he appeared rather, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin, unto salvation. Christ went before the throne of the Father himself after his death, burial, and resurrection. He ascended as Daniel had prophesied he would back in Daniel chapter 7. He ascended back to the Father's right hand, and he came with an offering, not the blood of bulls and goats, not an offering for his sins, for he had none, 1 Peter 2, 20 through 22. But his offering was his own precious blood given freely after a life lived perfectly. The offer was such that the Father was willing and ready to forgive anyone who would be obedient to the gospel of this one who gave his life. Jesus Christ is the reason for heaven. If we go to heaven, it will be because of Jesus Christ. Yes, we must obey the gospel, but we understand that without that obedience, or excuse me, even with obedience, if our Lord was not willing to forgive, there would be no forgiveness, there would be no salvation. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, there would be no hope, there would be no joy, there would be no peace, there would be no salvation, there would be no new covenant, there would be no church, there would be no access to the Father through our perfect high priest. There would be no heaven. 
The facts of the gospel are clear. They point out to us that Jesus is indeed the reason, not for a season, but for a whole lifetime of spiritual blessings. Jesus is the reason. And though the gospel contains facts, the gospel also contains commands, a point which sometimes people overlook. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 16, and 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8, the gospel, or the writer talks about obeying the gospel. Well, commands are things which you obey. The gospel contains commands. So in order to enjoy the blessings of being a Christian, we need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, Romans 10 and verse 17, and that's what we've been talking about for the last 20-some minutes, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 24, If you believe not that I am He, you shall die in your sins. Then with that belief, that, that conviction, we need to repent of our sins. Luke 13 and verse 3, Jesus said, If except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. It means we turn from the old way and we turn to following God. We need to confess our faith in Jesus as the Christ. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 with the mouth confession is made unto salvation and then we need to be immersed into christ for the forgiveness of our sins as was said by peter we read acts chapter 2 keep on reading there in verse 38 repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins folks that's the gospel and it's so plain and so powerful and so promising and so personal and so perfect. This evening, if you're not a Christian, we invite you to be obedient to the gospel message, to Jesus Christ. Or a Christian needing the prayers of the church, we invite you to ask to come forward as well and ask us if we can help you in any way. We invite you to come while we sing.